Every day I'm struggling. That really is probably one of my favorite videos we've made. I just love that, and I definitely identify with that. I don't know if you do. My name is Alfred Turley, and it is my privilege to be with us, be here with us today at Rockbridge as we continue in this series of The Struggle. And I have been with Rockbridge a little over nine years. I'm one of our pastors on staff. My specific role is around discipleship. A lot of small groups type of stuff. So I get to spend a lot of time with our small group leaders helping people fall more in love with Jesus Christ. And we've just learned that the best way to fall in love with Jesus Christ is through community. One person helping another person understand the incredible love that he's given us. So that's one of the fun things I get to do. I get to travel around to all the campuses. So one of the things is you may not know who I am, but guess what? I work here. So I get to come up here. So it's a privilege for me today to be here. This is Father's Day weekend. Again, excited for fathers. Um, you know, excited. We, I, I get tickled sometimes because every, uh, every Mother's Day is like, moms, we love you. You're the best. What will we be without moms? And then Father's Day weekend is, come on, fathers, you got to get better. Get in gear. Let's get it going. You know, let's, we're always tough on dads, but um, I, I just love, my dad's incredible, and uh, I've had a great experience with him, and I, he's given me a great example, and I hope I can be a good dad. I've got three little ones. I've got a seven-year-old, a uh, four-and-a-half-year-old, and a two-and-a-half-year-old little boy, so yes, I'm tired all the time, but it is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, it's been an incredible week at Wright Bridge as we've had Adventure Week. Loving on the next generation, and it's been such a joy to see so many of our volunteers, so many people sacrificing their evenings, just loving on kids, showing them the love of Jesus. Hundreds and hundreds of kids attend Adventure Week, and we know many made decisions for Christ, and that is a beautiful thing. That's what it's all about, is the next generation coming to know the love of their Father and their God. As we kick into this, um, one more thing. We've got Robert's going all over the world. Mission trips everywhere. There's been mission trips in Ethiopia and in Haiti and in Moldova. And we've got mission trips going to Nicaragua and the Dominican Republic. And it's just incredible to see Robert's taking the love of God all over the world. And we've even got a trip in Hon going to Honduras in the fall. I want to tell you we've got openings for that trip. If you if you're ready to jump in and you're like, is it too late? No, it's not. You check your bulletin or something for that and uh, let us know. You can still jump in on a trip. Now, as we get into the struggle, I just would like to, I would like to open us in prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we can be fathers because you are a father. And Lord God, I just thank you for your incredible love and your incredible example to us. And Lord, I pray right now that you would come and Lord God, just speak through your word. Your word is such beautiful truth to set us free and help us on the path of life. Fill us now. Help us hear you. Hear your heart. And just guide our time. Let us come away knowing your heart 
and knowing more of your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, as I was praying about, you know, what to talk about in the struggle, what's a specific struggle, there's one thing I think, and I know it hits men a lot. I, think it, I know it hits us all, but I know it specifically, I think, is sensitive for men. And it's this idea of success, okay? And I think we all, I don't think, we all want to say that our life has been, to some degree, a success. And I, I remember when I first realized Adam and Eve, when God put them in the garden in the very beginning in the story of the book of Genesis, God told Adam and Eve, go out into the garden, rule over the world, subdue it, and basically what he was saying is, make it better because you're here. Make it better because you're here. And we have this wired inside of us from God to go and want to make a difference and make the world a better place. I mean, who in the world wants to die and go, I am so glad that I made no impact. You know, I walked in and I just kind of got through there and I didn't touch a thing, didn't disturb anything. You know, left no impact. Nobody even knew I was there. Is that how we want to live? Absolutely not. We want success. We want to know that we made a difference and God wired us in that. So we want to win. So here's the thing here. We all want success. We want to know that we are winning. And that is the struggle today that I want to talk about. Because how can we know? Is there a way to really know? What does the Bible say about this? Well, it says a lot. But one of the neat things about this is that I, I love the Gospels, the four Gospels that we have, the four incredible stories of Jesus and his life all written with a slightly different perspective and different kind of flavors and tastes. But this story apparently was such a big deal that every gospel except the book of John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all contain this story with a slightly different camera angle on it. And we're going to go into the book of Matthew. Because here, here's the thing. This, this thing about striving and seeking success and going after it is in us all. And it's in the disciples of Jesus, too. And so we get to see a story in Jesus' own ministry of this playing out. And it's quite amazing. It tells us a lot. So we're going to go to the book of Matthew, chapter 20. We're going to put it on the screen. If you want to open your Bible to that, you can. Uh, but we'll put this up here as well. We'll be in Matthew, chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. Now, before I read it, let me tell you a little bit of the background. Jesus has finished pretty much three years of his ministry, the main bulk of his ministry. And it's winding down. It's really headed toward its final conclusion. And the Gospels tell us that at this point, he was headed to Jerusalem with a final confrontation with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of Israel. And he knew, God had revealed that he knew totally and completely that he was going to be crucified, that he would be flogged and crucified, that he would die, that he would be buried, and he would raise again on the third day. And in fact, he clearly told his disciples every bit of this, but for some reason, they just couldn't get it. They were not understanding what was happening. It just wasn't computing with them, and he knew they didn't understand what was going on. But he told them anyway, and he kept telling them. But here's what they're hearing. Throughout this entire process. They know he's the king. 
And they know he's the prophesied coming king to come and take over the throne of David and to rule the world, you know, set up the kingdom of God. And in fact, Jesus' language has constantly been the kingdom of God is at hand. Okay, so imagine this. Okay, put yourself in, in their place. You're an everyday person. You're a fisherman. or I mean, you're, you know, they're fishermen. There's a tax collector. There's just everyday people. You know, not, nobody special, no religious leaders. But Jesus picks these 12. He has them around him all the time. And he's, got, he's pouring into them constantly and doing ministry with them. And in fact, he's got three specific ones. James and John, who are brothers. And Peter, who he's kind of got an inner circle of three. And he's pouring into them. Now imagine this, if you know this Jesus guy is going to be the king and he's going to set up his kingdom and you're kind of like, when's he going to start the recruiting? You know, when's he going to start assembling his, you know, cabinet and all that kind of stuff? When's he going to start that process? And he's just not, he's just got the 12 and he's got, and you're one of those 12 and you're walking with him and all of a sudden you start to realize, oh my gosh, we may be his cabinet. We may be his folks. We may be the one that Jesus is going to use to lead his coming kingdom. And in fact, he keeps kind of telling them that they are. Well, think about this. As they approach this time in history, and they're approaching this crucifixion, this final chapter of Jesus' ministry, they know something big is about to happen. The big day might be right here upon us. And so enter our story. In Matthew chapter 20, start at, or Matthew 20, starting at verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, this is James and John, two of the inner circle, approached him with her sons. She knelt down to ask him for something. What do you want? He asked her. Promise, she said to him, that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right, and the other on your left in your kingdom. Now let me just stop right there. Zebedee's sons, James and John, are fishermen. Okay? Now apparently, their mother is along with them too. So she's probably a disciple. She's following along. So we got the whole family affair going right here, except you got dad back there fishing, paying the bills for everything. So you got James and John here, and their mother, and isn't this just like a mother? She's like, Jesus, and apparently she's got a good enough relationship with Jesus where she feels like she can say, Jesus, you love me. You love me. Here's my boys. And you've been walking with my boys, Jesus. Promise me that they can have your right hand and your left hand seats. Let them have vice president and CEO of the kingdom. Now, I understand, I mean, there's a degree where I understand this, and we should all understand this, because this is truly an American-type thing. You see a window, you see an opportunity, you go for it. It doesn't matter about anybody else. you got to go after it. But here's the interesting thing. You do have to think about, well, how did Peter feel? Peter was one of the three. And maybe James and John are like, well, I don't know, there's probably a footstool in front of Jesus that Peter could sit on. You know, or something like that. There's got to be, there's going to be something for Peter. We're not worried about that, but we want the right and we want the left. And this is just like a mom trying to do this, trying to get her little boys in there and all that. And I mean, to a degree, that is understandable. But listen to what Jesus answered. Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. 
Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? His crucifixion. They said, we are able. They said to him. He told them, you will indeed drink my cup. But to sit at my right and left is not mine to give. Instead, it belongs to those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. Now, when the ten disciples heard this, they became indignant with the two brothers. Okay? So Peter and everybody, they're like, thanks. You guys going for the two chairs on the right, and you're leaving the rest of us towels on the ground to sit around on Jesus' feet. Something like that. That's what, here's what this is. This is a pure power play. This is office politics at its best. This is drama in the workplace. And we all deal with this. This is absolutely as, as American as a apple pie type of stuff that we're seeing here. You see, it seems like for us, especially in our culture today, that success is about rising above, seizing the day, grabbing life by the horns and making it, you being its master. Isn't that what we're told? Isn't that what culture, what everything tells us life should be about? Let me just give you a beautiful example of this that I know almost every one of you should be able to relate to. So, we're driving on 75 North, and lately it seems like 75 North between Dalton and Chattanooga, someone has decided to do some road construction. All right, so you're in the middle lane. I was in the middle lane this week. So we're in the middle lane driving along, and all of a sudden traffic is slowing. It's going really, really slow. And then you start to see the signs, left lane closed ahead in like 2,000 feet. Okay. So you got some people that immediately, and you, you immediately realize, I'm in, the, I'm in the middle lane, I immediately realize the reason traffic is slowing down is because all these people in the left lane have to get over in the right lane. And some people will get over in the far lane, but whatever, we know. I am now bearing the brunt of all these people on the left-hand side that have to get over. Okay? We all know this. We know how this works. So then here's why. you got the, the people that I would call them the polite people who immediately put their blinker on, and they're like, okay, we know this is going to happen. We're just going to go ahead and try to get over. And somebody lets them in, or, you know, there's a tractor trailer that goes too slow, and five people get in. Something like that happens, you know. But then inevitably what you have is you keep going, is this left lane begins to thin out. And then you've got someone, and maybe some of you are in this room, who decides, well, I'm not going to wait in these lines over here. I'm going all the way up. And I'm going to take advantage of this little opportunity of the thinning traffic. And I'm going to get up there right until those little cones make me get over in that other lane. And then I'm going to get up there. And I know these people over here don't want to let me in, but I'm going to get in. And you begin to put, they're pushing their little car in there. And you're like, you know, and if you're standing there, you're like, no. And you're like two inches from the bumper in front of you, trying to keep them from getting in. But somehow they get in anyway. And that is how life feels. That is how this feels around here. But here's the thing. If you are that person, you're like, yes, all these fools over here sat in traffic, but not me. I just cut five minutes off of this, and these poor guys over here, it's just such a shame. See, the world's definition of success is I win, even if someone else loses. Now, let me, let me prove this to you. 
Because I think, and it's not always, I know there's plenty of times when things happen, when people are successful, when they rise above, whatever else, and and it really isn't, you know, it didn't really harm anybody, anything like that. I totally get that to a degree. But listen to our language, rising above. Rising above. Because that's comparative. That means someone else didn't rise. Someone else is is, is laying down, is, is not going up. And we're doing better than. It's all our success is a better than success. That is how we look at success. It's better than someone else. All our success is almost driven that way in this culture, in, this, in, in, in our country. Am I standing out in the crowd? And here's the thing. Like in that traffic, or even for James and John's mother. We, this is, again, a very American but very just worldly thing. I have to look out for myself. I have to. I can't, you know, we're those two disciples there, and we see that there may be two chairs open, and I know there's ten other guys here, but you know what? I got to look out for me. And I'm not going to miss that opportunity. And we celebrate that boldness and that aggressiveness, but we don't think about the fact that it costs others and can hurt others. We just don't think about it. It's just important for us to realize. So what does Jesus say about this? So Jesus, in verse 25, he's like, okay, we got to deal with this. Verse 25, Jesus calls him over and he says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles dominate them, and the men of high position exercise power over them. And I want to stop right there and hold on this. See, greatness in our culture, and Jesus just defined it. They rule and dominate, and they exercise power over people. See, greatness, again, in our culture, we view it often as leadership, as authority, as position and power. And here's what they get to do with it. They get their way. That's what they do with it. They dominate. They rule. They exercise power over people. They get the fast pass at Disney every time. You know, they get to go to the best restaurants. They get the best health care. They have the best bank accounts. They never have to worry about money. They get the best health care. All of that. That's what power and privilege does. And that's what the world's view of success is privilege and power for me to enjoy. And don't we celebrate, hey man, he's living the good life. He's in the Bahamas. He's retired to the Bahamas. He's on a sailboat. You know, cashed out. Got, you know, rode the stock market, all this. And to a degree, I mean, there's, it's just that it's all about me to enjoy. That's the American dream. But now we really do have to ask ourselves, is this how God defines success? That it's all power and privilege for me to enjoy? Where Jesus takes it a next step. So he just said that. He says now, it must not be like that among you. Now listen to this, and you have to hear this. If you call yourself a Christ follower, you have to take this seriously. Jesus just commanded you, commanded us. He just commanded. Jesus commands the church, this cannot happen among you. We cannot view position and power and authority as greatness, and we cannot 
use it as something we're to enjoy, as it's for us, as it's at the cost of other people. We cannot be that way. Jesus is saying, if you want to call yourself a Christ follower, if you want a part of my kingdom, if you want a part of me, if you want one of these chairs up front or even sitting on the footstool, this cannot be among you. And I think it's really important that we just realize our American mindset is from hell. And totally apart from what Jesus wants for us. <laughs> Thankfully, he's going to tell us what we need to do. Self-centered living must end. This kind of success is not success. you got to get that. This kind of success is not success. If you're trying to strive and want to be said, like, this kind of success is not success to God. And he defines what's true. And let me say this. Leaders... Especially when people look at leaders, they look at artists and celebrities and all that stuff. Leaders and celebrities and, and all these people, they're not greater than others. Politicians, leaders, CEOs, all that, they're not greater than others. They're just leaders. They're just artists. They just were given gifts and talents. They were given things that God put in their lives. And God, the Word actually tells us when we're given talents and gifts and things like that, it's something God calls us to steward. Not that he says you're better than anyone else, that you're more successful in the kingdom of God or greater than anyone else. Matt says it this way, that's your platform. It's not your purpose. Maybe you are a CEO. Maybe you're a leader somewhere. Maybe you have great authority. Maybe you don't. Whatever it is, that's just your platform. That's not your purpose. That's not your identity. And God's going to call us to account for how we steward those things. Hear this. There is nothing wrong with achievements, with position, with power or privilege. But there's nothing right about them either. They're neutrals. What matters is what we do with them. What matters is how we use them. Platform versus purpose. Now Jesus takes it further in verse 26. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's dramatic. That's a dramatically different definition of greatness and success. You see, success in the kingdom is living to make others' lives better, even if it costs me. Success in the kingdom is living to make others' lives better, even if it costs me. That's what Jesus said. I came to lay my life down to save all these people. I came to sacrifice. I came to lay it down. You see, if we go back to what Jesus told James and John when he said, you don't know what you're asking when you're asking for these chairs. You have no idea what you're looking at because the path to these chairs is through my cup, and my cup is sacrifice. Sacrifice. Death. Laying down my life for the world. And of course they say, we are able to drink your cup. And James and John both drank the cup. 
of suffering and persecution. Jesus prophesied, you will drink this cup, and they did indeed. But he's telling us that the greatest, the greatest in the kingdom is the one who loves and the one who lays his life down for his friends. That's the greatest love is sacrifice. And here this is, I remember when I first learned this, and I've never forgotten, it was so powerful for me. And it's the definition to me of spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is measured by our willingness to sacrifice. If you want to know if someone is a Christian that honestly is worth following, is worth someone that you want to have near to you, you know, as an example or, you know, something, is, is that person willing to lay their lives down for others? Do they think of others? Because that is the true definition of spiritual maturity. Greatness in the kingdom is serving others. And this is exactly what Jesus said, that he came to serve and give his life. Now then, how should we view specifically leadership in just the church? Because leadership can be such a big deal. I want to specifically go to Ephesians and, and talk about how Paul talks about the church. And this is what... This is a really beautiful point Paul makes about the church. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. We're a family built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Catch this. Leadership, the foundation of the church is on the bottom, not on the top. Not on the roof. You see, if we want to take the mission of God upon ourselves and be great in the sight of God and to have God say, well done, good and faithful servant, we have to go low. We have to go low on the foundation, on the example that Jesus gave up of laying his life down, laying his desires down, laying himself down. And that's where we have to go. And that's where the leadership structure of the church is we're to serve and sacrifice for the family of God. And it's what good fathers do, good parents do, that we sacrifice for our children. That we change poopy diapers and we do hard things and we discipline and we, you know, empty our bank accounts on our kids because we're loving them. We're trying to be a foundation for them to go higher. That's what the type of success and the kingdom of God is and what leadership should look like. Success in the kingdom. Oh, I'm sorry. What gets in the way? I want to stop and go. What gets in the way of this type of success? So if we're looking at this, how do I be a servant? How do I go this direction? What holds us back? Well, it's, I think it's actually pretty clear. So now I want to go to another conversation Jesus had with his disciples on the same exact subject but he went at it a little bit differently. And this is, it actually happened beforehand, before the Matthew 20 passage. This is Matthew 18. So Matthew 18, 1 through 5. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So they're still having this, you know, they're having this discussion. They're having these problems. They just don't get it. So who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a child to him. And had the child, had him stand among them. And he said, I assure you, he said, unless you are converted and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest. Catch that? Humbles himself like this child. This one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. What do you think Jesus means? Why do you think he means that we have to become like children? That we have to humble ourselves like children? We have to go to that place. And that's what greatness is in the kingdom. I think, you know, I finally, I prayed so hard about this. And I, God, finally helped me see this. You see, success in the kingdom is becoming who God made us to be. Let me explain that. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are now a born again, adopted, a born again, excuse me, son and daughter of God. The greatest, that is the greatest position and rank we could ever ask for in life is to be a son and daughter of the eternal God. And God is calling, he's saying, you don't understand. You're seeking out all these positions and powers and successes. You can't get any more successful than just being my son or daughter. And the realization of that fact will set us free. You see, here's why Jesus is saying you've got to become like a child. is because a child never thinks about its position or occupation or rank, does it? I mean, if you go to any one of my children, my, my, even my oldest daughter, if you ask her, what, is your, what are you? What's your position? What's your occupation or anything? She's going to look at you like you got three heads. And, uh, but if you kind of probe into who are you, I guarantee you she is going to give you a definition of who she is based on her family. Children identify themselves by whose they belong to. Their parents. My children say, well, I'm just a, I, I, Alfred's my daddy and Heidi's my mommy. They're going to say that. They're going, their identity is going to be in who their parents are. And in the love that their parents have. Children do not consider anything else. They're just thinking about who I, whose family I belong to. The older they get, the more this gets messed up. But young children live in that place of humble dependence in their family. So we know that about children. But children also... Children also never think about provision or protection. They trust in their parents. They trust in that incredible love. That's what children do. You see, that's the whole thing. God is success in the kingdom is God is calling us to realize that we're his children. And when we're his children, we don't have to strive for success. We don't have to think about that. We can walk humbly and dependent on him. See, success in the kingdom is God-likeness. That we begin to exhibit his image, look like God, and act like God because we're his children. And that's what God desires. That's what God says is success. God is a lavishly loving, generous God who wants to help us walk free, wants to give us joy, wants to give us peace. And he says, I'm your daddy and I'm going to take care of you. Now here's the other thing. When he says, anyone who welcomes a child into, my, in, into their life receives me. Jesus is saying this too. We can't view other people in our lives through the lens of worldly success, which basically means, can this person 
help me succeed? Can I minister to this person and it will help me overall in some way? Basically, if I'm looking at someone else and I'm trying to think about what I'm going to get out of it, I'm missing it. Or even if I'm thinking, oh man, this person is such a potential leader, such a potential mover and shaker in the kingdom of God or in the world or in the financial world. Oh man, they've got talents and gifts. I need to pour into them. And you know what Jesus is saying? If that's how you look at people, you are missing the mark. Every single one of them should be viewed through the lens of family. That they are your brother and your sister They are fellow children of God and worthy of love. And worthy of our pouring out on them. Success in the kingdom. Instead of how high can I climb, we begin asking, who can I help climb higher? Have you ever thought about that? Instead of asking how high can I climb, We begin asking, who can I help climb higher? You know what is so beautiful about this? This means that radical success is available to every single human being. Because you can all, we can all serve. We can all help someone else. We can all give of ourselves to help another person discover the incredible love of God and the incredible message of Jesus Christ. And I just want to ask you right now, I'm going to be honest, here's here's where I've been with this. I've done a lot of repenting. I've done a lot of, God, forgive me for putting my eyes on anything else. Forgive me for putting putting any other image of success except how can I love and help others. And I've just been walking around thinking, God, who can I let climb on my shoulders so they can go higher than I've gone? And I want to encourage you that as we close in prayer, that you think about that and pray that same thing. God, show me who I can help go higher Show me who you're asking me to pour into and bless, no matter what they can give back to anyone. How can I go low? How can I come under and help build the foundation of the church? It's through serving. Let's bow our heads now. God, I just thank you so much that as a father... You paid a terrible price in the death of your son. And that, Lord Jesus, you came and you set the example that laying down our lives would be the foundation of the church and the standard of greatness in the kingdom of God. You turned it all upside down. But you've told us that greatness to you is just being, becoming embracing the incredible identity we have in you as children, sons, and daughters of God. Lord, help us see who in our lives that we need to come alongside and lift up, that we need to come under. And Lord, we repent now 
of keeping our eyes on worldly definitions of success. And Lord, set us free from these lies and help us to see the true success and greatness that you have given us in your son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand with me. Isn't it good just to hear from God's word? And that's just another way that we worship him is by hearing from his word and just saying that his word is valuable, his word is good. And then we we worship now through giving before we leave. And uh, so if you're new here, we